0: This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership, and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard, take the lead.
1: I'm Andrew McKean. You're on the Financial Standard podcast. I'm speaking with Tim Tui today, the head of macro and strategy at Yarra Capital. How are you going today, Tim? Good, thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. I just wanted to begin with asking. So I've read you know, some you know reports that you've put out there, and I wanted to know, you know, you say that a lot of what passes for economic discourse you know often comes to discussions about the impacts of interest rate changes. You've previously said there's other policy decisions that are equally important, and I was hoping you could explain a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, sure. So I think the, the important point is that the RBA firmly believes that the transmission of monetary policy is really directed by those that have debt, and so thirty percent of households have a mortgage and for those people, they, they essentially are the ones that bear the brunt, that have to you know, slow spending as interest rates rise and adjust um, their spending patterns, which ultimately you know delivers the, 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 the response that the RBA is after in terms of a lower inflation impulse through the economy. But there are other things that actually matter. So most Australians are obviously involved in the Australian superannuation system. And movements of the superannuation guarantee levy and movements in superannuation wealth actually impact pretty much all of us. And it's not well, I think, researched and certainly not well discussed that when you're moving the guarantee levy around a lot and when superannuation wealth is bouncing around a lot, it actually has some very significant macro um, impacts.
1: And could you elaborate a little bit on what those impacts are? I mean we tend to think of you know the superannuation guarantee rises as being you know quite a positive thing, but uh, if we could kind of dig into the details of you know what the impacts of this increases, these incoming increases uh, will mean more broadly economically?
0: Yeah, sure. So just mo- just you know, focusing purely on the shifts in the levy. Um, as you all know, we're on this sort of rapid uh, phase of the of the run up to twelve percent um, is where the stated maximum is uh meant to be for the superannuation guarantee levy now that happens pretty quickly from here um we obviously just increased the levy by half a percent in july we do it again in on july um in july of 2024 and then the final increment um happens in 2025. now that's much faster than what we did over most of the journey um it wasn't that long ago that we were sitting there at 9% and we stayed at 9% for a very long period of time. So yeah, the first point is that, yeah, our research shows that moving the superannuation guarantee levy by 1%, so in this case, you know, going from, uh, say, 11, to, from 10 to 11, is equivalent to uh, 100 basis points of interest rate hikes. So four, if you like, 25 basis point interest rate hikes by the RBA. And I really don't think that that's well understood, um, mainly because the superannuation guarantee levy didn't move around very much um, for a long period of time. And over the last couple of years, of course, there's just been so much else that's been going on and impacting the consumer, everything obviously from the enormous fiscal outlays, the shop around inflation, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this is probably going to be one of the more important things that happens over the next couple of years. As we move through to an easing cycle, most people expect the RBA to either hold at a high level or give a very modest interest rate reduction. If we're also putting through quite a rapid increase in the superannuation guarantee levy, which essentially is not necessarily resulting in lower income uh, at an individual level, because obviously that um, for some people, most people, they don't receive a reduction. In their take-home pay, those on private contracts may, but on balance, sixty percent of people are either on an award or on an enterprise bargaining agreement, which tends not to see an outright reduction in your pay. But you know the firm has a, if you like, a limited budget constraint in most instances, so it will reduce future wage growth. And that's kind of the point here: is that if you're of a mind as a central banker to leave rates relatively high or give Very modest interest rate relief. You might find you end up having to do a lot more than you anticipated, because you know going through another hundred basis points of of an increase in the superannuation guarantee levy will, in essence, mean that you need to compensate
1: for essentially four interest rate hikes. And how did you come to that conclusion that it it is equivalent to about a hundred basis point rise?
0: Yeah, so I mean that might be getting a little bit in the weeds of how we model things, but uh, in essence. You know, the RBA and other researchers, you know, haven't had much difficulty at all over a long period of time finding a relationship, obviously, between consumption and income growth. But when it comes to finding relationships between wealth and and different forms of wealth and consumption, there's been very limited success, particularly when you're trying to isolate out superannuation wealth. So, you know, part of the objective was really to find a way of modeling consumption that could... Do that, but also take into account some other things. So, in particular, we wanted to isolate the impact of the stage three tax cuts, and we wanted to isolate the impacts of the um, superannuation guarantee levy. So, we stripped out, if you like, from the from the income line, tax paid and interest paid and interest received, and also the impact of the guarantee levy itself. So, we modelled them separately so we could identify them separately, and. Yeah, you know, we were able to build a very robust and statistically sound model, which made a lot of sense in terms of the um, the outputs. It's just that we just don't think anyone's successfully been able to do that uh, in the Australian context before. And I think partly over recent years, it just hasn't been the focus. I mean, the focus has really been about, um, of course, the the income shock around COVID, the recovery out of the, from the packages that we saw, and then the interest rate normalisation. This has sort of been going on, I guess, if you like behind the scenes but of course the next 24 months or the next 12 months it's going to be all about stage three it's going to be all about these superannuation guarantee levies and what the RBA needs to do as inflation moderates so we think it's a good framework to try and really isolate those those impacts
1: definitely I think it's really interesting as well you know why that you know super's influence on the economic outlook is you know you know, which is something that will virtually impact everybody, you know, doesn't really receive much of a comment. And I kind of wanted to gauge your thoughts on why you think that might be the case.
0: Yeah, so our system is a bit different to other um, retirement systems globally. So as you know, it's obviously uh, well-funded, it's mature and all those aspects. But what's really sets the Australian system apart from most of our peers is A, it's privately run, so it's not part of the government accounts. So in a lot of other European uh, countries in particular, they don't really separate the unfunded superannuation, if you like, liabilities from the government accounts. So obviously it's compulsory, is the other thing, it's privately held. And that means that you have much greater transparency, um, great and greater, if you like, certainty over what your finances actually would look like in the retirement phase so if you see a an increase in your superannuation balance by a certain magnitude you're more likely to view it as a permanent increase in wealth and econometrically or if you like economically it'll alter your structural level of savings and you'll shift your savings behavior as a consequence so I think we have a much greater capacity to see spillovers from the superannuation industry into our real economy vis-a-vis other places in the world. Again, because it's privately run, it's trusted, and of course, you know, it's separated from the government accounts.
1: Certainly. And I suppose, is there any other important questions you feel that would need to be answered you know, regarding that increase as we go on to increasing the superannuation guarantee levy to 12%?
0: Well, I think there's there's probably a few. Um, you know, we need to obviously be able to isolate a few things separately. So, you know, the first point is if you don't have a good understanding of how much financial wealth is altering the consumer patterns, then you're really not in a good space to understand exactly what you should be doing with monetary policy. So, so so its first point is really getting your head around how much housing wealth, so house prices times the housing stock is impacting consumption. The second thing is figuring out how much super is. And thirdly, the other forms of financial wealth, so non-housing, non-super financial wealth. So we think it's kind of interesting that you kind of do this through this framework. And if you like a a 10%, well, a rising housing wealth is essentially three times more important than the other forms of wealth. But of course, your superannuation wealth is something you really can't access, obviously, in your retirement phase. So it's interesting that we actually Spend just as much out of a superannuation wealth as if you like privately held wealth, non super, non non housing wealth. We spend just as much as our superannuation wealth. So people obviously see it as more of a permanent uh, feature of their of, of their of of wealth that they're happy to consume out of, even if they can't access it in current time. So that matters. So you know if we're getting big movements in financial wealth that's cascading through our superannuation balances. You need to take that into account when you. Essentially setting policy. The second thing is, is really thinking about it from the perspective of what else is going on. If you're essentially sucking money out of um, current consumption by raising the, the superannuation guarantee, but also loading in taxation relief by stage three, no doubt by the time we get to 2024, there will be some other income tax or um, cost of living relief that's coming down into the lower income brackets. You need to calibrate all of that together, and I think unless you've got a framework to do it, all those things together, the wealth effect, the superannuation effects, the various income and tax effects it'll be a bit of a mess, and at the moment, I don't think people have a good framework, and you know what we were trying to do in this paper is really just show a way to do this and and to navigate it. so I think you know those sort of things are the are important, and it's also you know it's important in figuring out what the optimal response of the central bank should be. Yeah, the conclusion really is the the RBA will probably have to be more active, more aggressive on the easing cycle than a lot of people currently anticipate.
1: Do you think that will be the case? I do. I mean, I obviously
0: think that. I mean, in recent days, um, I think the market has clearly come around to the idea that the um, that the Fed will be um, cutting rates reasonably aggressively next year. But we think the RBA will also be easing rates at least two times, probably three times next year. And that'll have to cascade into 2025 as again, these superannuation changes will probably see them need to work harder still. So, you know, the easing cycle will be extended into 2025, partly due to these effects. And yeah, again, I just don't think it's that well anticipated or that well thought through locally. In fact, I haven't seen any discussion around really the macro impacts, of the superannuation changes, and what the policy response will be to counteract that from a sort of a growth perspective and a spending perspective.
1: Fantastic. I suppose if you had any kind of final key takeaways, was there anything you wanted to share? The thing to think about, I think,
0: over the next little while is that it should really be thought about in, t- in the context of, yes, Australia is moving through a cycle that is a little bit different to other parts of the world. It's important to realise simultaneously that the pickup that we're seeing in terms of the, the global outlook is actually being driven by the emerging markets and Australia will be sinking into that. So last couple of years, it's been a case of Australia's been essentially six to nine months behind the US cycle. So you could build a a scenario that interest rates would need to go down around that. I guess the point that I would suggest is that as we come out of this downturn a little bit sooner and we think a little bit better than a lot of people suspect, some of the rate cuts that are embedded in other economies may find it a little bit harder to be delivered on. But the superannuation changes here, we'll probably see rate cuts (laughs) that are not really currently in the curve actually move into the curve and actually have to be delivered on. So, it's a better global growth outlook with moderating inflation and maybe a little bit less geopolitical risk, which is good for riskier assets and good for growth. But in the Australian context, we've got something else going on in terms of the policy mix that will probably, you know, as I say, help deliver on these interest rate cuts in time.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tim. Appreciate having you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Financial
0: Standard Podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice.